everyone, it's another episode of the Future Skills Podcast, brought to you by Universal Skills Group. In this episode, we're joined by Maria from Merit Skills. Like USG, Merit Skills are part of the short-term group. I'll be asking Maria how she got involved in training and also what Merit Skills bring to the training sector. Hi Maria, welcome to the Future Skills Podcast. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for joining today. Um, really keen to get you on as part of the Short Term Group. Of course, Universal Skills have recently been acquired by Short Term and uh, and the Merit Skills team form part of, of the Short Term Group. And uh, yeah, I wanted to have you on the podcast to, to firstly understand a little bit more about yourself and the Merit Skills um, Group. How did your career get started, Maria? Interested to know what took you along the pathway to merit skills and how you formed part eventually of short term. Okay, so I um, finished university. Um, I did my degree in educational research and psychology. And I um, wanted to go and find a graduate management programme preferably in London, away from home. And whilst I was applying for that, I took a temp position at um, Develop Training. And I worked for Cheryl Foreman in her team of, um, she at the time headed up the management training team. So I worked in there doing um, administration, just training coordination really as a temp. And um, I stayed basically, I didn't, I didn't carry on applying for graduate schemes and I didn't move away from home. I was having too much of a good time there and it was a great opportunity um so I did that I did that role for I don't know best part of probably six nine months and then a role came up to lead a training coordination team um on the technical side so I moved from um, management development training into water which was what the water team was at the time and um started managing a team of three training coordinators there um, and I did that for a while and basically that was really made up of an angry water um, contract at the time they had a really big contract developed it with angry water probably a million plus a year doing all their technical and health and safety training so we organized that we put in new systems new processes for the administration which was great and then a couple of years went by and develop acquired water training international which was known as WTI, which was set up originally as the training um, company for the water industry. And I think water companies probably supported that and paid into that, but it became a commercial entity. So developed all that and that became part of our whole offering. Um, yeah, which was really interesting because that brought along gas, electrical, mechanical um, and building services rail and so it was a, a really big training group really then um, we obviously already had water and management development training so we had five um, business streams really within the one um, training company then so that was good so I got to experience um, all the different areas really um, so we went through a little bit of a restructure um, I got promoted to business director for client services and so I, my role was to look after all the admin, all the training coordination, but with a customer focus. So where we tendered for work and we won contracts, I'd be kind of the person that would go in and look at how they wanted all that to work from an admin management information point of view, reporting, 
meetings, that type of thing. And I, I manage kind of more of the customer experience um, side of it, but with my team um, behind me with um, training coordinators, really, and their, their team leaders. So that was a really great opportunity um, because Develop then won a really, really big contract with National Grid. Right. Um, and so I helped and worked alongside the team that managed that contract. Um, and yeah, just got a lot more experience outside of water, I guess. Um, and then, you know, Develop moved on. It grew really well. Um, it was a great company to work for. And we had some check management changes. And at that time, um, myself and a couple of colleagues decided it was probably time to leave um, and we found a financial investor and we set up Merit. Very nice. Yeah. So how long in total was you at Develop for? Um, oh, I might have to do some maths now. Um, so I started 2003 and we set up, I left it at the end of 2009, set up merit 2010 so about seven eight years all right so quite a quite a long period of time and rolling back to when you first started to develop so you first started in uh, in admin how did you find the the change of, of being sort of in an administration role to to lead the team of people because one thing i've noticed is sometimes people can find that quite difficult leading people when they've not been used to it how, how did you adjust to that um, I do remember thinking, or you know, managing people. That I find that's always the most um, challenging but rewarding part of any role. Um, and I do find I do remember thinking, oh, this is a bit of a jump. But I'm, I was quite ambitious, and I knew I had to take it. Um, I also, I think, having done the job of the people that I'm managing, I think that that helped. Yeah. Um, I think it had been harder to just go in there and. Um, say here I am I'm your manager luckily for me we were going through quite a bit of change there and um a few personnel have left and I got to recruit my own team quite quickly right. into moving into that role we had some temps in and so I think that probably helped as well yeah I didn't inherit too much to be fair um because I could only have been about 22 maybe at the time um wow. so yeah and then the next roles um in terms of that kind of side of things and jumping up and progressing, I think they just came more naturally, not to me, but they happened over a period of time. And um, I kind of more, I suppose, grew into them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think um, I really enjoyed my last role as business director of client services when I was at Develop. I really, I learned a lot there and um, that role was really good for me. It really opened up a lot of doors and just looking at different companies and the way they worked and having to work across all of the businesses within Develop and all of the managers and all the teams. It was really good. Yeah. Do, do, do you ever wonder um, what would have happened if you'd have continued at university? Because you said you started as a temp yeah. and sort of never left. Yeah. So, um, no, not really. I've never really looked back in that way. I've always enjoyed everything I've been doing. And um, and I think for me, the people have um, really made it along the way so far. And I guess the, the fact that I worked for Cheryl was my first role and now we're back together within the short-term group, then I guess that kind of just cements that really. Um, I'm quite loyal. Um, I enjoy who I work with. So, yeah, no, I've never really looked back. Yeah, I mean, you spend a lot of time at work, don't you? So it's it's really important to to have that trust and also to enjoy with what you do, firstly, but also the people that you work with is uh, is yeah. crucially important I for think, a successful business. 
Yeah, I think in this business as well and in training, it's all about the people. And I know you'll yeah. all hear that so many times, but it really is. And those experiences for our learners and our clients won't be any good unless the people love their jobs. Yeah. Um, and it takes a team to kind of make that happen, doesn't it? It does. Um, by no means did I have a pathway to university, but I always remember for me, finishing year 11 at the time and having no idea what I wanted to do and um, getting an offer at the Leeds College of Building uh, near where I lived. Didn't want to do it. I sort of passed the, the exam for it and I thought, I really don't want to do that. So I didn't do it. I ended up going to sixth form for two weeks. And I just hated it. Hated it. I thought, I don't really need to be here. I want to earn some money. I want to get a job. And I was just, as soon as I got a taste for being able to stand on my own two feet and you know work and get reward for it, and then yeah. progress within something. I just, I really wanted to go down that path. So I can see why um, you've done that, I suppose, because you've seen an opportunity in front of you. And at 22, wow, what an achievement to be leading the team. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it at the time. I think also I totally agree with that, wanting to work and get on with, you know, life as such, because I was going to stay at university and I did, my plan was to do um, a postgraduate degree. I wanted to do educational psychology. Right. Um, and work in schools and um but by the end of the three years I was ready to work so I changed yeah. tack really um I didn't want to study anymore and although actually now I always kind of have a bit of a yearning to do something do another qualification um that's only that's kind of always been there but at the time I just didn't want to do it full time I would always want to do it alongside work now yeah so the pathway that took you to Merit and you, you set yeah. up Merit with a couple of people, you say, what is it that yes. Merit do? What are, you, what are your offerings and, and what are you known for in the industry? Yeah, so when we um, left develop, so the two colleagues that I set the business up um, both left develop as well. So we all knew each other. We knew we could work well together. They were predominantly in water. That was their background. They'd worked in um, water companies previously. So that was really going to be our footprint was to set up a water training business and offer health and safety alongside it um, that complemented the water technical training. So that's what we set about doing, really. So we um, had a small office in 2010, just uh, the three of us. Um, like I said earlier, we did get a financial investor who was the fourth shareholder. So that was great. He was really supportive, a real entrepreneur. So that spurred us on because we didn't really necessarily have those um, attributes maybe as a group of yeah. three that entrepreneurial flair, flair but we kind of learned that as we went I think um having worked in developed which is a bit more of a corporate we were kind of a bit more used to that way of thinking and we'd obviously worked with big corporate clients so that was really good Mark um, invested in the business and he pushed us on which was what we needed really um so we set up the business um day one you know, did all the website and all that sort of stuff um and then the phone didn't really ring and we kind of <laughs> thought probably that um you know we'd left develop and people knew about it and you know the phone would ring yeah. and it doesn't does it and I think that was probably the first biggest shock and you know the month a couple of months rolled on and we'd had a few bites of work and we'd done a few courses here and there but nothing massive um you know Northumbrian water or angling water hadn't come knocking necessarily apart from to say hi and good luck 
Um, so yeah, we did that. So the first year was quite slow. We were like, oh, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? But we were throwing loads of energy into it, as you do. Did you worry and at then, all? Pardon? Did you worry at all? Um, first year? I think if we'd been on our own, we would have worried. But I think because um, we were essentially had um, some backing, less yeah. so. Um, that sounds quite bad. And then um, obviously there was three of us in the office all the time. So and we we get on really well. And um, I think that kind of carried us on a bit. We spurred each other on. We're like, no, come on, it is going to happen. And we've spoken to this person and we've called that person. We've done another mail shot, you know, all those things. And I think if you've been on your own doing it, I think you probably would have given up. Well, I probably would have done, to be fair. Um, I had to have those, you know, some people around me, I guess. But we, um, yeah, we did continue, obviously. And at the end of 2010, we got um, the offer of moving into the training centre where we are now. So... That had been set up by Bar Hale, and they we got wind that they were going to move out of it. So right. we went to look at it and um, took on the lease, basically. And that was what changed the business in that first couple of years, having a centre and being able to say we can now do confined spaces and street works and get all our centre approvals in place. Yeah. Although we didn't do masses of it, it seemed to just spark some interest. It gave us kind of a foundation and the work actually did start to come in um, from different water companies and so on. And that, that really helped, even though they didn't necessarily come to the centre, it felt like there was more substance behind us. Yeah. And then we just grew from there, really, tended for work, won work, um, started winning work over our competitors. Um, we just carried on like that, really. In the water industry, it's really word of mouth. It's, there's not loads of places you can advertise for courses um it really is about doing a good job and it gets passed yeah. on so that started to happen and people started recommending us best way to get work word of mouth i suppose um, yeah definitely and in merit skills you deliver apprenticeships yes so um we started doing apprenticeships in 2012 i think to begin with they weren't um there were apprenticeships but they weren't like proper funded apprenticeships so our we used to follow the apprenticeship um route frameworks at the time but our customers used to just pay us commercially to do them they didn't want to get involved in funding and all the red tape right and so we only really started doing the the apprenticeships through esfa funding when levy was introduced and then obviously they really didn't have a choice as to pay commercially. They had these big levy payments that were being made every month and they wanted to use it. So yeah. come the levy, we started delivering apprenticeships um, in conjunction with ESFA funding. I think that was a big game changer for a lot of people with yeah. levy funding. And I still find today quite shocking that a lot of people, big companies, still are not massively um, educated around just how they can potentially utilise what they have to spend. Um, I don't know if you found that, but we, we've certainly come across, um, you know, some large co companies that didn't realise what they could do with it. Yeah, definitely. I think um, in the water industry, obviously, there's not there's not lots of water companies. Obviously, they're geographically and regionally spread, yeah. um, so that doesn't make for many customers in that in that way. Obviously, their supply chain pay the levy as well. I think in the supply chain, you'll see that more in the water companies. I think they have now just about probably got to the point where they're spending the majority of the levy or they're doing exactly what they need to do for their business and using the levy 
to support that. Um, some of them have really massive levy payments, and I'm, I doubt that it's all all used. But I think it's definitely got better in the last year year or two for sure. Of supply chain, definitely probably won't be using all of theirs and don't realise how they can necessarily use it. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to set up. It's, there's a lot of in, infrastructure around it. Even if you're an employer and you've got a provider doing the majority of the training and the assessment and getting them from e, EPA, you've still got to have things in place at the employer end to manage those apprentices, keep them yeah, on track, absolutely. keep them in roles. So yeah, it's a big investment. Yeah, you've got to be fully involved and compliant and uh, have a lot of support and you really need that employer engagement. Um, very similar to universal skills, you, you're offsteaded and I know recently yeah. you've had a full inspection and of course you'll have had a, a monitoring visit. How did that process go at Merit Skills? So yeah, um, well, in the end, I guess, um, that was the outcome. Our monitoring visit um, happened a couple of years ago now um, and I think we were all really, really nervous. To be yeah. fair, we didn't really know what to expect. But I have to say we had a great experience. We had um, three inspectors who were all lovely, um, brilliant to work with. And it was a good experience. And it's um, it's funny to say that because you you kind of don't expect to say that at the end of an offset inspection. No. Um, but we learned a lot um, during that monitoring visit. And I think um, that did kind of give us a little bit more confidence when it came to our full inspection. I mean, the nerves were still there and the, have you got everything in place? Have you done everything? Have you ticked all the boxes? Have you got evidence of everything? They were still all the questions we were asking ourselves um, at our full inspection, despite having a good monitoring visit. Um, but I think it did give us a, a bit of confidence to tackle the full inspection head on. Definitely. Yeah. So you had somewhere to work from, from the from a monitoring visit. It gave you a good idea what the full inspection may be like and... Yeah, I think we we very much had our fingers crossed that we had the same experience and the inspectors were open with us and um, approachable and listened because that's how they were on monitoring visit. And that definitely happened in our full inspection as well, which I think, you know, creates a better um, environment for you to work within during that week because you feel like you can take stuff back to the inspectors, you can challenge you can discuss things that are going on in your business rather than it just be, we've seen this and this is the outcome. We very much felt part of that inspection and all our, all the inspectors made us feel part of it, which I think makes it such more, well, makes it more, well, the word enjoyable doesn't sound right, does it? But um, no, it I made it a more enjoyable experience, definitely. Yeah, I've been through two monitoring visits now and we await our full inspection. Um, and the first monitoring visit I went through probably five years ago now, wasn't a nice experience. I think, you know, the inspectors that we had, you just felt as if we'd done something wrong constantly. Out to get and, you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah. I always remember walking around with one of the inspectors and they were just, just seemed to be, why are you doing that? And, you know, that almost saying that's not right straight away. And that was sort of in the first couple of hours. And I remember going into a little meeting room that we had at the time and there was... It, you could have really cut through the air. It was that tense. Um, but then fast forward to the monitoring visit we had at Universal Skills a couple of years ago, and that was a completely different experience. You know, as much as they were thorough and you could tell they wanted to be compliant and check things and, and, and deep dive, as they say, into different parts of um, our provision. We had two inspectors for our monitoring visit and 
we just felt as if we had a, a lot better dialogue with them. And um, whilst they wanted to know information and, you know, they did ask challenging questions and probing questions mm-hmm. and we needed to submit evidence and show what we were doing, it was just a much better experience. So, um, you know, we're very much looking forward now to our, our full inspection and we expect to have that this year. Um, moving on then, so thanks for that insight into the, into the Ofsted uh, stuff there at Manic Schools. It's, it's interesting for us and um, like I say, we're looking forward to ours, full inspection yeah. for this year. Um, moving on, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Universal Skills recently, we're about just over a month in now to our acquisition with short term. Um, very similar to, to what happened at Merit Skills. How, yeah. how did that come about with short term then? So you, you, you're as acquired, did you say? Um, I think we spoke just before we began the podcast. Has it been just over three years now that you've been a part yeah. of the short term group? Yeah, so it was the back end of 2018. Yeah. Right. So three and a bit years, three and a half years now. Yeah. And it's flown by, to be honest. Yeah. Um, in terms of how it came about, um, we weren't, we didn't take the business to market. We weren't necessarily looking to sell it. Um, obviously we knew Cheryl um, from our previous days at Develop. And so um, that's really how it came about with our links with Cheryl um, in yeah. terms of short term looking for acquisitions. And we, you know, we had an initial discussion. I don't think we went in with any preconceived ideas as to whether we would sell or not sell. Um, it really was all about the fit for us because it wasn't yeah. necessarily something that we were aiming to do um, at that point in time. But we knew we wanted to grow the business and we knew the way um, resources were that as a kind of shareholder owned business between the four of us, it was always going to be more difficult to make those massive investments in terms of taking on lots of trainers at the same time or investing in facilities. Um, so yeah, we, we went with it really. And we met Steve and Patrick with Cheryl and really liked both of them and um, yeah, took it from there. So it's been really good for Merit, definitely. Good. And uh, like I said, we're just over a year, a year, not a year, but we're just over a month in at Universal Skills with the acquisition. I have to say, you know, my biggest fear was, um, mm. probably wrongly as well, but my biggest fear was the staff. So very protected yeah. over the staff. We have just over 20 employees now and, um, you know, work so hard to, to form that team. And uh, mm. I remember, you know, letting everybody know that the business had been acquired and, and a huge shock. Um, really because nobody knew what you know anything had been happening because always a chance for these things that might not happen Um, but actually Steve, um, Patrick, Cheryl the first week they were on site constantly and they really just had an open door in our boardroom for anybody to come and speak to them ask them any questions which helped so much put people at ease Mm -hmm. Um, and actually by the end of the week people had a spring in the step and I I was actually really surprised you know um, just how receptive people were because normally with change people are I'm going to lose my job you know is everything going to change Uh, because we have a really happy workforce but I have to say so far so good and and I've been really interested as well to to get to know you know other things about the short-term group and how they're involved in things like the rail industry and um, Mm -hmm. things like the the automotive industry and the the airline industry as well it's really interesting and, and they're really you know, big players in parts of it as well, which is exciting. So, yeah, I have to say myself as well, so far, so good. So um, Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think for us, it was probably slightly different in that um, we all own the business, stayed with the business. Um, yeah. 
But I think the biggest thing for me is I felt a bit of a fraud. Like I've been managing this team for six, eight months and not said a word about what was going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was probably my biggest apprehension was how people would, you know, perceive that and like, oh, you were busy then because you were doing that, not busy <laughs> for doing something else. So, yeah. or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that was my probably biggest um, apprehension with it all was kind of I felt like I've been working on something and not told everyone and you know when you run a business you you do confide in people and you do um, trust people with information when it's your own business and you're running it and I think that's what I hadn't been doing necessarily for the last um, I think it was six to eight months to be honest so that felt a bit foreign to me not sharing what was going on Um, but yeah same all good um from then on in really and people perceived um took it really well a few of our trainers had come across some developers as well so they obviously knew Cheryl previously yeah. Yeah. so that definitely helped we had quite a big link there yeah no that's really good we had a tutor actually that straight away we'd made the announcement and he said straight away oh we've sort of put um Cheryl Patrick and um Steve's faces on the board as part of the announcement to show who were coming in later on. And somebody, somebody just said straight away, a guy called John, one of our tutors. Yeah. I know that person. And I thought, I hope this is going to be good. And it was. It was like, look, I'd had, I've had great experiences with it. Um, you know, and, and I think that put the staff at ease as well. So that, that was really good. But I have to agree with you. That one of the hardest parts for me was, obviously, there's lots of legalities to things like acquisition. And um, I always remember our former director who, who had a a part ownership in the business saying to me at the beginning of this acquisition, you'll be surprised just how long this takes and what information is required from both sides. And I thought, well, we're only a small business, so there can't be that much. But literally, you know, nine months later, information was still being supplied. And it was, that was the hardest part that the staff couldn't know because of course there was things like uh, non-disclosure agreements in place, which I'm sure was the Mm -hmm. same for you. Yes, definitely. I think it is hard. And I think, you know, while you've you've asked people to say, well, can you just run this report for me? because you need yeah. the information or can you just look yeah. at this and you kind of give no reason as to why you're just like Absolutely. I just have it? <laughs> and have you got it now <laughs> <In your space. laughs> yeah no yeah. reason for anything so um yeah it is tough and it takes a long time doesn't it you kind of feel like you're holding your nerve the whole time you're going through that process you do um, a bit like an offset inspection really <laughs> yeah yeah very very just shorter. Um, yeah, a lot of information required how did the pandemic Maria um affect merit skills the two-year period there really especially the first sort of 12 months how did that affect yeah. you guys that's a good question and I think actually and um, that's where short term really came in and kind of we were always saying oh we're glad we sold um because in the when the first lockdown happened the March one the first one we didn't deliver any face-to-face training we we literally stopped all that we didn't deliver any training apart from our apprenticeships um so we did all that remotely so that was quite a change for those apprentices which had apprentices just start in the October November potentially I think it was they hadn't been on program very long and we had also others coming up to end point because our end point it's usually they usually end to end point sort of late spring ready to take to kind of finish during the summer yeah so we had um the two extremes there with different sets of cohorts so that was quite um challenging but we moved our delivery to teams did a lot of one-to-one stuff we furloughed a lot quite a few staff in that first lockdown um and we kept a core team um doing the apprentices but um, short term were great. They were so supportive. 
the people that were furloughed got paid 100% of their salaries. But yeah. if we hadn't have sold the business, I don't think we'd have been able to do that. Yeah. I don't think we'd have yeah. had that. Um, we don't think we'd have the cash flow to support that as a no. small business. Um, so that, you know, that was really brilliant. Um, and I think it put a lot of people at ease with their jobs and their roles. So we kept um, a, co a core team, mainly the management. So we were all chipping in. So me and um, Pete and Jim, who I set the business up with, um, the three of us were all doing bits of the apprentices because we were kind of, A, filling our time a little bit, but also we needed the managers there to manage everything else that was going on. We kept one of our training coordinators um, unfurloughed, so to speak, um, the one that does the most work, the apprentices, because that's what we were doing. And then we'd planned um, just to start delivering face-to-face -face as that kind of initial lockdown period kind of ended. So by the time we got into summer, we were back um, doing face-to-face -face training. The other thing we did, which short-term supported us with um, and invested in was put extra classrooms or bigger classrooms in the site at Yaxley um, so that we could do social distancing in an easier, better way really so we had all new um we had um we have mobile classrooms at yaxley and we have some inside but as the years have gone on they've kind of become offices as the team's grown right. and so we've got um so we've got brand new mobile classrooms put outside bigger um so we can fit you know probably 30 people in one of them now um quite spaced out as well but we've had a partition put in so that we can use it as two classrooms and stuff so short term supported us with all of that financially to put all that in um after right. the first lockdown which got us back delivering face to face really and socially distanced which was great and with the same numbers so we didn't really have to limit the numbers on our courses um we just put bigger rooms in so that was fantastic yeah no it's it was hard wasn't it i mean i remember when mm when we were we went to have a look i think in in may time <clears throat> myself and darren usg and um we we're just having a look around and, and measuring out the two meters and just thought how, how on earth can we fit people in here yeah. safely to the requirements it was so difficult and we had to come back with reduced numbers but very similar to you we we moved fully remotely to teams and i always remember actually at the beginning of april driving to the center so two or three times a week because the bulk of our staff were on furlough very similar to what you did there at merit schools we had a core mm. team who remained so that we could do things with the apprentices. And yeah. I was speaking to apprentices daily, so was yeah. the people that remained. And it was good, actually, because um, some of them I didn't really ever get a chance to speak to. And it was mm. just a crazy period, wasn't it? Other than the... It the was, web. like doing reviews for apprentices. I was like, well, I'll do their review. Yeah, and someone yeah. else in their review. And we're like looking at the last stuff they'd done with tutors, maybe. And yeah, no, it's good. And it also kind of... It was a good period for kind of like, well, that needs putting right when we all get back into the workplace, that needs changing and this needs yeah. changing and this review could be better. And yeah, so it kind of, it was good in that way as well, but it's just managing the unknown all the time, isn't it? It's really hard, like what's going to happen next? Um, yeah. But by the summer we were back up and running face to face and we haven't gone back from that in any Great. of the period since. Um, that's good. That's been good, yeah. It's been easier since then to kind of every change that's come along because we our stance has been to deliver face to face and we can do it safely because of the new classrooms. Um, that's helped really. Yeah, no, that's great. One thing I like to ask during these podcasts is, um, mm. I mean, it's, it's interesting, especially the, the, 
they're 22 years old. I don't think you give yourself enough credit <laughs> for leading a team at 22. I think it's really impressive. Um, what piece of advice would you give yourself? If you could go back to your 17, 18-year-old self, oh. leaving school or you know, about to go on to your venture of university or getting a job, what, what one piece of advice would you give yourself looking back? Um, that's a tough one, isn't it? Probably to worry less, I think. Yeah. I think over the years I've probably worried about things that probably aren't that big a deal really in the long run. Um, so probably that, to be honest. I don't think it's ever really affected my work performance, but I think, um, you know, you can spend time and energy worrying about things, can't you? And you could be doing something else more proactive and more positive maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, completely so agree. I think some of that stems from, you know, putting yourself... I've, I've always, you know, with that, with managing a team and stuff, it's, you know, putting yourself in a position where you are a little bit vulnerable, you are a little bit out of your depth, um, that's probably where that worrying maybe came in a bit, I suppose. But um, yeah, I think if you don't put yourself out of your comfort zone, it's hard to learn, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's a real skill as well. You know, that I remember first we used to have a training centre in Bolton, and when I started looking after that, I used to worry. I used to drive home from Bolton to Leeds and always get stuck in traffic on the M62, the worst motorway in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I just used to worry about what if that happens, what if this happens, and. And the director at the time, Danny, just said to me, one of the best things, the best piece of advice anybody's ever given me, really simple, but what is the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. And whenever I think about worrying now, I always go to, well, what's worst case scenario? You know, is the business going to finish tomorrow? That's just one example. But yeah. that's really helped me over the years. You know, what is the worst case scenario? Right, okay, how can I overcome that? And that's always helped me. Um, yeah. So. You yeah, and a lot of the time you 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 know you end up worrying about worst case scenarios that you can't actually do a lot about anyway. No, so no. it's kind of a waste of your energy, isn't it? It is. I mean, just look at the pandemic. What, what could we do about that? We were no, hands tied, weren't we? Um, yeah, it's day to day with that sort of thing, isn't it? It's a bit more kind of crisis management in a way. Yeah. Well, it's been great to have you on the podcast, and um, it's been you. really interesting to learn more about merit skills and you know, how you form part of short-term group, because of course, universal skills are getting more and more um, used to the short-term group. I'm very much looking forward to working closely together with Merit Skills, and I'm sure that will develop over the coming months and, and years. Um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you, Miria? If people are interested in more to training or getting in touch with Merit Skills, what's the best yeah, way to do um, it? Well, you can, anyone can always contact me direct um, on email or on my phone we also have an info at merit skills inbox um if anyone wants to contact by email there or just pick up the phone i'm a great believer in picking up the phone talking to people um so yeah pick up the phone really and just contact us we'd be happy to help happy to have any conversations or discussions great excellent well thanks again for joining the podcast and uh, yeah we'll catch up soon and looking forward to coming across and seeing you soon at the center yeah, Big thanks to Maria for joining the latest episode of the Future Skills Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to like, subscribe and share this latest episode.